Hi, this is Pastor Bob. Welcome back again to our teaching this week on Standing on the Rock, the promises of God. Today, we're going to talk about the many varieties of promises there are in the Word of God, covering so many situations, but each one of them simply telling us if you'll stand in faith on these promises, God's will will come to pass in your life. You ready for this? Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. We've been teaching a series on standing on the rock, the rock of God's Word, and we have covered so far up until now the Word of God and sanctification that is conquering sin in our life. Yes, we're born again, and yes, we've been forgiven of sin, but conquering that nature in us that leads us back to sin, the nature of the flesh is a lifelong thing, and daily we can gain more and more control over it to where even by the end of your life, you have to stop and remember, when's the last time I sinned? And that's a wonderful thought to come from you. It's not bragging on you, it's bragging on the Word of God in you. That's the power of the Word of God. So we've talked about the Word of God and sanctification, like I said, conquering sin. We've talked about the Word of God and good works toward men. That was the second lesson we had. And then we've talked about the Word of God and obedience toward God. That's the last one. Today, I'm gonna just kind of take a, take a break before there's five of these. This is the fourth one. I'm just gonna talk about the individual promises listed in the Word of God. You know, last report that I have read, it's, it kept increasing through the years as they counted them, but last report I've read, there's over 7,000 promises in the Word of God. Promises that are still good today, Old Testament, New Testament. Just because you find a promise in the Old Testament, unless it's specifically to Israel about a certain piece of land or something like that, or a certain promise God gave, every other promise, I mean, we're talking Proverbs, we're talking Psalms, we're talking uh, Moses, we're talking Joshua, all those other ones that come are promises we can still use today because God's Word never, ever becomes void. And then through the New Testament, these are the promises given after the cross, the promises given before the cross are still powerful for us, and we need to understand that. So we're just going to take some time today and study the Word of God and talk about the different promises that God has given to us and the fact that they've been here for centuries and God never has to change it. I think the closing of the book of Revelation is so interesting because there it says that no one can add to or take away from this particular book. It stands complete. I remember somebody was talking to me one day, they're talking about, you know, uh, that in 1920-something, you know, uh, they say this was added, but Bob, do you think that could be true? And I said, does it contradict the word? Well, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but they, they put this in there. I said, no, because whenever the Bible was finished in 96 AD, that's when, you know, John, we're gonna face the book of Revelation. God said in there, this book is complete. No man can add to it or take it away. I don't think later on the 1940s or 1840s or 1740s that God had to add anything to it. It stands complete today. And so since it stands complete, no matter where you go, you're gonna find promises that still work because God's still the same, the Holy Spirit's still the same, the promises are still the same, and faith in God has always produced great things. So let's take a look at our opening verse of scripture on this, Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 through 27 says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and then does them, this is the key to it, being a doer of the word of God, not just hearing, but doing. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and it beat on that house and it did not fall for it was built on a rock. And everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not 
do them will be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So what's God saying here? The simple comes back to this. He's speaking to Christians in both areas. There's a Christian who hears the word and does it. There's a Christian who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. And uh, this is why you look around and you say, well, you know, that guy knows Jesus. How come his life is such a mess? Well, it's possible to know Jesus, but then not be a doer of God's word because this is what a disciple is. Jesus said in John chapter eight, after witnessing to the multitudes, it says, and Jesus said to those Jews who just believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. After you're born again, become a convert, a child of God, you need to become a disciple of the Lord, and a disciple is one who wins others to the Lord, but also knows the word of God, and uh, knows the word of God, stands on it, and his life is drastically changed. He becomes stable in the things of God. Isaiah 33, 6, wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and knowledge knowledge shall be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. You want stability in the Christian life? Get wisdom and knowledge. You want to know for sure that you're sure that you're sure you're saved? Get understanding and knowledge of the word of God. Act on it. Make it a part of your life. So again, there's the comparison in Matthew 7, 24 through 27 of the believer who hears the word and does it, the believer who hears the word and does not do it. So, so far again, we have taught, and we've talked about sanctification, the conquering sin. We've talked about the good works toward men that we should have. We've talked about obedience toward God. And I simply, again, want to just take a look at some promises from the word of God. We will co cover other remaining areas of the purpose of God's word to come. But right now, let's take a look at some promises that are in the word of God for us. Before time ever existed, God planned and wrote answers to our problems. I'm going to say that again. Before time ever began, there was anything created, God planned and wrote answers to our problems. That means he knew you by name before the foundation of the world. He knew your family. He knew your children. He knew your offspring. He knew all these things. And God foresaw and saw the problems you're going to go through and even had an answer prepared back there. There's no way something can come up in your life that can destroy you. If you understand this thing never took God by surprise. He knew it before the foundation of the world. God knew the problem I was going to face and God already arranged an answer before my problem ever existed. There's a verse of scripture in the New Testament that tells us that when we walk into our problems that what God wants us to do is understand that God always makes a way of escape in the midst of a problem. That means I have a problem. It means I also have a way of escape. But here's the beautiful thing. The way of escape was there before the problem existed. I can walk into a problem going, oh my goodness, where did this problem come from? But it didn't take God by surprise. I can start looking in the midst of the problem for the way of escape because the way of escape was there before the problem ever existed. Psalm 139 verses 16 through 19 says, your eyes saw my substance before being born, and in your book all my days were written, which in continuance were fashioned or predestined when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands of the sea. When I awake, I am still with you. Surely you will slay the wicked, O God. So depart from me, you bloody men. Here's how we end up talking to our problems. We realize that God's promises were there long before my problems came along. And so you saw my substance before I was born and in your book, my days were written. 
What he's saying was my days have already been written out. And guess what? At the end, I win. At the end, I'm in heaven. At the end, I'm standing with God. So God must have a plan for every day of my life. And all I have to do is follow it. And if I get off the path, repent and get back on the path and keep following him. My life has never just been a straight line like this following God. It's more like this. I get off the path, get back on the path. Get off the path, get back on the path. Because you look back at your life and your life is filled with problems and things you fell for that you have to repent of. And that's why he's saying here, understand this, even though you're facing a problem, the problem never took God by surprise. He saw it long before the world was here, long before you were here, long before your problems existed, God already had your answers. That's the God we serve. That's about what makes God so great. And part what God makes God so great is the fact he knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows every problem I'll face. He knows the ramifications if I don't follow after him and makes provisions for me to get back into his will. God made plans for you while you were still in your mother's womb. God also made plans for you before the foundation of the world. He actually wove the answers into you in your mother's womb that he's had before the foundation of the world. Meditate on that for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to men. There's not one thing going to happen in your life that other people haven't gone through also. You say, well, Satan designed a new pro a new problem just for me. No, he didn't. He only has certain problems. He just put a new name on it. He updates the name for the 20th century, 21st century. And we keep thinking, oh my goodness, nobody's ever faced this before. And the, and the word of God says, no, no. Other people around the world are having exactly the same problems. Satan only has so many problems. Like I said, he'll stick other names on them to make them look like they've never been uh, happening before. But understand this, it's impossible. He's got limited ability, limited knowledge, limited understanding. God has unlimited wisdom, unlimited knowledge, unlimited understanding, and he knows how to get you out of every situation and already provided the way of escape. So, no temptation is over, has overtaken you, such as is common to man. There's nothing taking you that other people right now and in the past haven't gone through, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God made plans for you in eternity. Listen to this. And any problem which comes your way that he knows is beyond where you are presently in your growth, God will not allow it to come on you until you can handle it. In other words, God has a stopping point where there's problems coming in your life. He says, no, 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 you're not going. Other ones, God says, yeah, come on through. Bob can handle this one. And God will allow those things to come in mind. He didn't create it. Satan created it. But God doesn't stop it. If he knows, I can handle it. Therefore, understand this. If a problem comes your way and it doesn't disappear and go away, once it comes your way, understand this. I can handle this. God said, I am able to bear it. He will make a way of escape because he knows I can handle it this situation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, moreover whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. This verse says, I am taken care of all the way to glorification. What is glorification? A resurrection body in heaven with God for eternity. Once I was born again, once I was justified, 
Once I was called by God and I stand on his promises, he simply says this, God sees me all the way until I have a resurrection body. You know what that simply means? Apparently I'm gonna make it through this problem. And apparently I'm gonna make it through the next problem. And apparently I'm gonna make it through the next problem. No matter what comes my way, I can handle it because God already sees me in heaven in a resurrection body a million years from now. If he saw me billions of years ago in this situation, he can see me millions and billions of years from now in heaven in a resurrection body. So let's have a definition of God's promises. They are his will toward his people to bestow good and to remove evil. Each promise reveals God's love and desire to deliver you from evil. He didn't say he would stop evil from coming. He'll deliver you out of the midst of it. And 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says, having these promises. Here's the key. This is why we're looking at a lot of promises today. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthy of the flesh and in our spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What's he simply saying here? It's up to us to look at these problems and realize something. Is there anything in my life lacking? Did I open the door for this? If I did, Father, forgive me of that. And you know what? The moment you do, you're forgiven. But the beauty of it too is now God is in the delivering process to get you out of this. And he simply says, I'm going to bring you out of it and you'll be more successful when you're out of it than when you went into it. There's going to be growth in the midst of it. So when we come back, we'll take another look at this. And again, what we're offering is my series on standing on the rock and you'll be blessed by it. We'll see you right after the break. Hearing the Word of God and then doing the Word of God forms a foundation of solid rock in your life. Hearing the Word of God and then not doing it forms a foundation of shifting sand in your life. In these six lessons, Pastor Bob Yandian reveals that it is not just the hearing of the Word, but also the doing of the Word that brings blessing to your life. Based on Matthew 7, This series explains the importance of building your life on the strong foundation of God's Word. Hearing and doing the Word of God gives us power over sin, power in prayer, power to produce good works in our lives. The Holy Spirit brings holiness, stability, and power in our lives through the double-edged sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To order Standing on the Rock, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. 
If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says this, Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these what? Exceeding great and precious promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature. I want you to notice the word might. It doesn't say you will. Just because you have the promises doesn't mean you're going to act on it. Just because you have the promises doesn't mean they'll automatically act on you. You have to choose to become a partaker of the divine nature, but it's through the promises. How do I grab hold of what's in my divine nature? The moment I got born again inside of me, my divine nature was created. Jesus came to live in me. The Holy Spirit came to live in me. The power of God's inside of me, and I need to become a partaker of that. It's much like having a well inside of you, but you got to drop that bucket down there to get the water out of it. And how do I do that? Through these exceeding great and precious promises. By the exceeding great and precious promises, I become a partaker of God's divine nature, and then I escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. It comes back to this. What is the power that's inside every great and precious exceeding promise of God? What's in me is the ability to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust, and then on the other hand, turn and become a partaker of God's divine nature inside of me. The promises do not make up the entire word. The rest is warnings, testimonies, instruction, and revelation of the future. But there are two types of promises in the 7,000 that we have in the Word of God. There's conditional promises and unconditional promises. What is an unconditional promise, first of all? It's a gift. God just simply said, this is yours. So there's promises such as the new birth. The moment I receive Jesus, I receive the new birth. That is unconditional. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work for it. It's all a product of God's grace. But then there are conditional promises. And what's a conditional promise? It requires obedience. We just read one. There's been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by them you might be partakers. If I obey them, if I do what they say, then I can become a partaker of the divine nature. But those conditional promises require obedience. There's three parts to God's promises. First of all, there's God's purpose in making the promise. What is God's purpose? Well, in most cases, it's to bring you out of a situation. Sometimes it's to an individual. Sometimes it's to, you know, a family. Sometimes it's to a nation. But those three parts to God's promises is, first of all, God's purpose in making the promise. And every one of them, even though it might be to an individual, to a family, or to a nation, promises deliverance out of a bad situation. Second of all, it makes known what God's purpose is to us. God's purpose is for my deliverance. God's purpose is for me coming through this thing. And then the fulfilling of the promise. Understand this. Once I step into a promise of God and start to act in faith, there's a process that begins to happen. I find out why God made that promise. And usually it's because of the love of God he's given to me. This is what backs his promise, his love for me. Next of all, making known that purpose to us of why he wants me delivered, because it usually has to do also with my calling what God has intended for me to do. And I may not see it at the time, but later on I can look back on and say, you know what? That was a key time in my calling, my purpose for God in this earth. Then there's the fulfilling of the promise coming out more successful on the other side, stabilized, coming through it stronger, and coming out on the other side more assured of the promises of God. If that one worked, then the next one's gonna work also. The purpose of a promise is for our peace and for our rest also. 
Not only does it still the situation out here, not only does it stop Satan's power out here, no, and not only does it stop demons, they have to stand and back up for a moment, but also inside of us, a fulfilled promise brings peace and rest. Oh, the wonderful joy of coming out on the other side of that situation, knowing that God has set me free. Mark chapter four, verse 34 through 38 says, but without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with them other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind. The Greek word there is mega. There arose a mega storm. It's huge. The waves beat on the ship so that it was not full. The, the ship was full of water. And notice this, Jesus was in the back of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they woke him up and said to him, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? What did you do before this? He expounded all of those parables to his disciples. He explained them to them. And then he got into a ship and said, now let's pass over to the other side. What was he saying to them? I gave you exceeding great and precious promises. Here's your promise. Let us pass over to the other side. He didn't say, let some of us pass over. He said, let us, that includes all of us, pass over. He didn't say, we're going to go halfway and sink. He said, we're going to go all the way to the other side. He didn't say, only if the weather is good. He simply made a statement that surpasses everything. All of us are going to pass over to the other side. And that's when they got in the ship and the storm arose and the disciples were going berserk and said to him, don't you care that we're perishing? You are not perishing. In fact, here's something interesting. That ship, even though it was full of water, was not floating on the water. That ship was floating on the promise, let us pass over to the other side. Any more than when Peter stepped out of the ship, he walked on water. He did not walk on water. He walked on the one word, come. One word from God will deliver us and bring us to the other side. What am I saying? The purpose of a promise is for our deliverance and brings us peace and brings us rest during the time of the storm. They didn't have to wake up Jesus. Jesus didn't have to stop the storm. Although he did, it was because they were freaking out. What God was doing was simply just demonstrating how is the best way to handle a storm when you have a promise preceding the storm. Go to sleep during the storm grab a pillow, shake it, and lay your head on it. That pillow represents 7,000 other pillows in the word of God, which are promises of God. There may be specific promises to you, but then there's also general promises to you. If you can't think of a specific promise, shake up the pillow that says, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Put your head on the pillow, begin to sleep, and even snore during the storm. There's nothing that irritates Satan worse than than a Christian who goes to sleep during a storm knowing the storm cannot destroy him. We too, like Jesus, can sleep through a storm and sleep on the promise. Every promise is a pillow for us to rest on through the storm. Faith in the promises also produces patience in us. Mark chapter four, verse 26 and 27. Jesus said, so the kingdom of God is like this as if a man should cast seed into the ground, then should sleep, then should rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up and he doesn't know how. What he's saying here is that whenever you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't go 
and come up immediately. It takes time. Once you start to walk in God's promises, you understand something. They don't all come to pass in 10 minutes. They just often don't come to pass by the end of the day or even the next day or even the next week. There takes time and no two seeds produce at the same time. When you have a seed of God's promises, it goes to work for you. Then you just simply go to sleep. You rise up. You go out to do your work. You do all these other things. In the meantime, you know something. That seed is producing under the ground. I don't know how it does it, but I really don't give a rip how it goes. I don't care how it grows. It's going to grow up because that's what seeds do. And once I take that seed from the word of God and plant it into my heart, it's growing and I will come out on the other side. The promises are for believers only, except for the new birth. That promise is also, I mean, only for uh, unbelievers. But the promise after we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, all the promises found in the word of God are for believers. Today, we would call them Christians. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse 20 says this, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen unto the glory of God through us. What he's simply saying is all the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus and now also in us will come to pass for the glory of God through us. God wants to show himself through us. He came and showed himself through Jesus, but Jesus is back in heaven. Guess who replaced Jesus? You and me. And God's delight is when we take his promises and we grow in them, stand up in the midst of storms and the world sees what's going on in our life, immediately says, these guys going under. I mean, look at the lawsuits against him. Look at the people standing against him. Uh, Look at the government things against him. I mean, go down the list of things. But you know, in the midst of all that, you're standing on God's word. There is no sin in you. There is no corruption in you. If there was, you've repented of it. And now you're watching the promise of God come to pass. And when they see that come to pass, they'll understand, huh, God really does live in him. The things he said are really true. The children of God are called the children of promise. Romans chapter nine and verse eight. What am I saying? The promises have been given to us and I'm a child of those promises. What does that mean? Not only am I been born again by God, but the promises in me have produced what I am today. I am a child, not only of God by his Holy Spirit, I'm a child of promises. Promises have made me strong. Standing up in the midst of trials has made me strong and God's promises have brought me through. As a sinner, we were separated from the world by the promises of God. Ephesians 2.12, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. When I received Jesus, I entered into a covenant of promises. Not only the one of the new birth, but now the greatest thing in my life is grabbing those promises and watching them come to pass in my life. The greatest promise we have is the promise of eternal life. 1 John 2.25, listen, when I got born again, my eternity is settled. Even if I go through hardships in life, my eternity is settled. And it says in 1 John 2.25, this is the chief or the greatest promise that he has promised us even eternal life. The promises need to be worked at. That means studied, believed, and acted on. Proverbs 13 and verse four, the soul of the diligent will be made prosperous. Wow, did you see that diligence toward the promises of God will make us prosperous, not only financially, but in every area of life, we'll walk in prosperity. John 6, 27, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures unto eternal life. Hebrews chapter four, verses one and two. We've been given the same gospel, the same plan of salvation that was available throughout the Old Testament. Let us therefore fear, 
lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. That's Old Testament saints. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. We need to take account of what others have done and failed with the promises of God and turn it around and mix those promises with faith. Faith simply looks to the future and says, it's gonna come to pass. I'm gonna come out of this situation. If there were no promises, there would be no faith. God's plans are worked out in our lives by the development of his promises. Other parts of the word build faith to mix with the promises. God has provided the Old and the New Testament promises just for us. Much of the Old Testament is not the physical Jew only, but can be applied to our lives as Gentiles or as believers today. The Old Testament was given for our examples and our instruction. So Hebrews 13, as well as Joshua chapter one says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You know what that means? That promise has stood the test of time. Love your neighbors yourself in James 2.8 was also recorded in Leviticus 19.18. God has simply told us he will take care of us. So many great and exceeding promises. I'll see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.